0: A time of animal sacrifice for people to kind of come into a relationship with God it marks the end of that. And it marks the beginning of a new kingdom, which is a new way of relating to God, a new way of coming into his presence, a new way of knowing and experiencing his love and his grace. And that's all made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. I guess I would say there's so much we could say about community. Um, but let me say this: there's nothing else you can get this morning is that God loves you, and he knows you. And he knows you even in your own sinfulness, in all the, the guilt and the shame that you felt over the course of your life. He knows all of that too. And yet he loves you, and he wants to eat with you. Because to eat with someone, to break bread with someone, is to say, I value you. You're worth my time. I'm committed to this friendship. I'm committed to this relationship. That's what happens when we sit down together right around the table. We're saying we value this together. And that's what God says to you when you come to this table. That there's a place for you here. He wants to be in that relationship with you. So there's nothing else you hear. Hear that. God loves you. He wants to eat with you. Because it means to him you're worth it. Mm -hmm. To him you're worth it. There's three kind of reasons, I think, why Jesus earnestly desires to eat this meal, and three little pictures in on the communion meal that I want to touch on this morning. And it's all kind of looking in different directions. So the first thing I want to say is that the meal looks backwards, it looks to the past, and Jesus tells the story of Passover and then brings it into our present day. He, he reaffirms God's love. It's a, it's a meal that looks backwards with implications for us today. But the meal also looks upward. It looks up to the cross that's coming in Jesus' life. And it looks to him as the source of our life and our nourishment and our salvation. So we look backward to Passover. We look upward to the cross. This meal also uh, invites us to look outward. Jesus calls us from this table to begin a life of Christian mission. That what we experience here in his presence is not meant just for us, it's something to be shared with the world. So it looks backwards, it looks upwards, and it looks outwards. First one, the meal looks backwards, it looks to the past, it looks to Jesus reaffirming God's love. Before this is a communion meal that the church celebrates, this is a Passover meal. And Passover, for those of you that don't have any idea at all, it's okay, is an annual feast that Israel celebrated, to mark them coming out of Exodus, God freeing them from slavery, out of the Red Sea, and beginning a new covenant life with them, a new relationship with them on Mount Sinai. So Passover, it kind of takes all those things together, all this rich story and imagery of God's salvation over them, and for them, what he did for them in history, what he really did for them, and it celebrates that. So it's this... It's this, uh, this meal that looks to God as our salvation. And, and it reminds them, too, of Mount Sinai, where God said, okay, I've rescued you, but I want to begin a new way of relating to you as people. And it's going to look like not a master to a slave. It's going to look like husband to wife. We're going to enter into this covenant together, this faithfulness to one another, which means even when you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm going to remain faithful to you is what God says. That's what covenant is all about. So Passover looks back on all of that. And when you think back to Mount Sinai, uh, there's this dramatic sense in which our sin separates us from God, isn't there? God wants to make his presence known among people. He wants to come and dwell with people. So it's always God's heart. He wants, he wants to dwell with us. He wants to dwell with us. Make His dwelling with us. And yet we realize pretty quickly that our sin which we sometimes don't like to dwell on. You know, we think it's just kind of bad things I happen to do along the way, but it's, it's so much so much deeper and more deathly than that. Our sin actually separates us from communion with God. And so just as God wants to come and kind of dwell with the people, there's this sense of the people's sinfulness. And something has to be done to kind of make a way for us to enter into a relationship with God and God's presence to come and, and dwell with us God's so holy and our sin is so bad, so ugly, that the two can't jive. So God's holiness, which is so good, is actually dangerous because I'm so sinful and I can't abide in God's presence. I just kind of get obliterated. So what's to be done? And this is where this whole idea of animal sacrifice comes in, this whole idea of, of something has to die in my place. My sin somehow has to get represented on this animal so that sin can be dealt with and I can come into relationship with God. It's this strange picture for us, isn't it? Because we just don't do this anymore. But it's this picture of the radicalness of my sin and how deeply it separates us from God. Something has to die in order for me to enter into God's life. Just keep that in the back of your mind. So Moses and the 12 elders of Israel, they offer their animal sacrifices, and God invites Moses up on the mountain, and we find out that Moses gets to eat with God, and he gets to live with God for 40 days and 40 nights, So when it's all said and done, he's a changed person. It's a radically changed Moses' life. That's what's going on in the back of the disciples' minds, and the back of Jesus' mind, as they come to celebrate Passover. And take a look at what Jesus is doing. Just think about them seated around the table. In Exodus, you have 12 elders, right? They represent <laughs> of Israel, right? 12 tribes. And they come as the leaders representing uh, Israel's coming out from the Exodus, out of Egypt. Right? This is who they are, the, this people. Coming out of a physical Exodus. And now in Luke, what do you have? You have Jesus who's gathered 12 apostles around a table. And we begin to realize Jesus is not just gathering a random twelve, but that this is meant to represent a new, newly reconstituted Jewish culture. They're not coming out of an old exodus from one country to another, but Jesus is now calling them into a new exodus out of sin and into God's life and wholeness. And so you have the same meal from Sinai being reenacted. Jesus is purposefully reenacting the meal with 12 new leaders of Israel and saying, now, this is the new way we're going to relate to God together. And where Sinai covenant, it was only made possible, we only get to God through the animal sacrifice. Now Jesus is saying, the way you're going to relate to God is now through a new sacrifice and it's going to be through my own death, my own resurrection. No more animal sacrifice. Jesus will become the one perfect, pure sacrifice for your sin, my sin, for all humanity, for all eternity, for all time. He's going to take all of our sin upon himself and let it kill him so that we can enter into God's presence in life. It's not good. So the meal looks backward to the old Exodus, which was marked by animal sacrifice. And Jesus says, This meal that was a Passover is now a new communion meal. It marks a new Exodus made possible not by animal sacrifice, but a new Exodus out of your sin into God's salvation through the death of Christ on the cross. And that's what happens when we come to celebrate it. There's this recognition that through His sacrifice, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. We can come freely before the Father. We're so richly blessed, folks, because of this. So every time we come to the meal, we're celebrating that. We're celebrating the fact that no more animal sacrifice. Christ has once and for all come and died in my place so I can be alive in God again. So we look backward, Jesus reaffirms God's love. He's retelling his real story, he's making it our story. And even, even today, when we come to the table, You can look back to Mount Sinai where those 12 elders were, but you can also look back to the upper room where the 12 apostles were and realize you're right there too. You get to be right there with them. That's what this is all about. We get to share in this meal regularly, often, as a remembrance of what He's done for us. So the first thing is, we look backward, we recognize that God's made a way for us, Uh, our sins, He wrecks us awful, but God has persevered, is so faithful, that he cares so much for you that he'll die in your place to bring you into life. And so having looked look backward, we just kind of naturally then look upward, and we realize Jesus calls us uh, to continually eat this meal, regularly eat this meal, because it's at this meal that he, he nourishes us with himself in some mysterious, beautiful way. Look at verses 16 to 20. He says, I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's this sense that this meal is something we do like an appetizer to remind us that the entree is coming. And we kind of, whether it's monthly or weekly, however often you take communion at our church, it's uh, kind of monthly or sometimes a little more often. Um, but each time we come, we're coming recognizing that at the end of the day, God wants to dwell with us and we are going to have a great Wedding feast celebration together, and we live in anticipation of that. So, Jesus says it won't be fulfilled until the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. So that's what that means. Then he takes the cup, he gives thanks, he says, Take this, divide it amongst yourselves. So, it's a one cup representing his life and his death, given to all the people. I tell you from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread. And when given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. Tim Chester asks this great question. He says, Why bread and wine? Maybe you've asked that question before. Why not bread and grape juice, you yeah. know? Or water. Why is it wine, Jesus? You can take that up with him. When he comes to getting glory. I'm not gonna answer that today. But why bread and wine? Why doesn't Jesus just say, say these words in remembrance of me? Right? Why doesn't he say pray this prayer in remembrance of me? Why doesn't he say speak in tongues in remembrance of me? Why doesn't he say go help all the poor in remembrance of me? Right? What why doesn't he say worship in this way in remembrance of me? We don't get that. What do we get? Eat and drink in remembrance of me. Why? Why eat and drink? Why that? Jesus? That seems very unspiritual. In fact, it's richly spiritual. In fact, to say that something so physical can't be spiritual is to kind of insert this false dichotomy into the Christian life. In God's kingdom, in God's economy, the physical often becomes hallowed with the spiritual. This is the incarnation. This is what we believe when we speak in tongues, that God uses our bodies, uh, speaks through us, moves through us. As Pentecostals, we have this rich theology. Of the fact that the physical often becomes the container of the spiritual. But we see that primarily in Christ. Why eat and drink? Here's the main thing, folks. Here's the reason. As humans, we are really shaped, profoundly shaped, at the core of our being by our habits, by the things we do. Uh, so, for instance, you will know this if you shower often, right? You will know when you don't shower, something feels off. If you shower often, it goes away. Uh, or brush your teeth, right? You brush your teeth here and here in the day, and when you don't, you, you miss it. You go, wait, something happened. You will notice this most profoundly over meals. If you eat usually at five at night, and you haven't eaten by the time seven o'clock rolls around, your body will tell you, we missed supper. The rhythm is off. Do something, right? We're profoundly shaped by the things that we do time and time again. In fact, it shapes us on the very core of our being. So this happens also when we say, I love you to someone. Um, I say, I love you to my boys and to my wife. Often, I do this often. It's not just me saying it so they hear it, but it also causes me to love them more. By saying it, I'm kind of acting it out. Does that make sense? Something happens when I do it physically. It actually changes something inside my own heart. That's what happens at this meal. When we eat and drink, we're being shaped, we're saying we are made alive, we are formed. We're being transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. The thing that most uh, shapes my own heart, my own attitude, my own hope on life is this person who might beside for me. And so we come often to eat and to drink. We realize Jesus is here, He's present here. In some mysterious way, he's here, and he comes to nourish our hearts and our souls. And that's what remember is all about. We remember, you know, do this in remembrance of me. It's not just uh, have a sip of juice and have a little bit of bread and think sad thoughts about Jesus, you know? It's not that. To be, to remember, it's more like be remembered, like get put back together, Do this to be remembered by me. When you have this meal, you're saying, Jesus, you're the center of my life. I look upward to you. It's your life, and it's your death, and it's your resurrection that shapes me at the core of who I am. And so as I eat this meal, I'm saying, Jesus, you transform me. I need to be put back together by you. I need to be remembered through you. And so we do this. I was, I was, uh, I was talking to a guy this week uh, over some things. It was really, I'll tell you about like, it. It's cool. It was about praying for the provincial election that we're coming in June. And we got talking about Seth, and he was telling me about uh, some experience that he had recently. He was in Victoria. And he was talking about communion. I'm talking about communion. I don't have. And uh, he grew up at Pentecostal as well. Actually, grew up in Phoenix, which is cool. And he said, you know, sometimes... When you know we do communion, it's it, it feels kind of empty. You know, it's just kind of tacked on at the, the service, so to speak. I said, "Yeah." I He said, "You know, one time I went with some friends to a, to a service, and uh, and we were invited to come up for communion. And I said, I had no idea what to do. Yeah, I didn't know what was happening. I you missed know, little train going by." You know, he said he went up, went up, and and. Uh, it's similar to what we do here, someone had a hug of bread, and they gave it to him and looked him in the eyes. Like, the body of Christ given for you. They said His name. And then the cup came around. The blood of Christ shed for you. They said His name again. He said it he hit me like a missile. It hit me like a missile in the heart. This was for me. This was for me. And friends, that's why, and I can't fabricate that, that's something that happens to you through the Lord, but I've had a very similar experience in my own life. Uh, when someone looked me in the eye and said, the body of Christ broken for me then, the blood of Christ shed for you then. It's for me. It's just for me. What? And that's why... I'm not that you don't necessarily feel the emotion of that every time, but that's why I invite you to come forward. That's why I, I don't pass a train. That's why we come forward. And someone breaks off the piece of bread that says, the body of Christ will be pressure you? And bless you, if you're serving community, you forget to say that. It's okay. It's fine. It's okay. Don't worry. And if today some of you go up to someone and they don't say the word, it's okay. All's falls well. But hear those words, this body's been broken. For me. This blood was shed for you. And I need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded more often than not that I still get to come to this table. It's still for me. Regardless of what's happened this week, it's still for me, I still get to come. And that's why I'm a big proponent of celebrating community more often than not, because I need to be reminded often that this is for me. So we look backward and we recognize this is uh, God's love for us. He wants to be with you. We look upward and realize it's it's all about Jesus. It's his death. and he, he sustains us. Something happens in me spiritually. I I receive grace for that week to live. He doesn't save me, but something happens in my heart when I come to this table. He's there. He needs me. I miss it. I miss it when I don't have I miss it. <clears throat> we look backward, we look upward, we realize that he, he remembers us, that His death changes everything. But we also look outwards. The table, folks, is if we said the table is the long time of Christian mission. Think of it like this. Uh, you know, freely you receive, freely give. You know, we've been so blessed by his death and his resurrection, but how can I keep that to myself? And I'm not good at sharing my faith. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I get really shy. You know, I get nervous. You feel like, if I say, I'm, like, I'm going to say something, I'm going to say it wrong, you know. You're the words so, You know, I'm not an apologist. apologize. I don't know how to answer all the hard questions. You know. It's not about that. It's just about being honest and saying, well, here's what Jesus has done in my life. This is what I questions you can send them to me oh, good. <laughs> but you can share your own story gotcha. you know what God's done in your heart you know how we say you you can share that story mm-hmm. Jesus nourishes us at the table so that we can go and nourish the world around us and that's a hard thing to do isn't it it's a humble thing that's a serving thing and it's really easy to go the way of the disciples. Did you hear that? They get to the meal. Jesus is really literally physically right there. And what do they go about? I'm better than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting closer. I know me better. I'm really something, right? It becomes this elitist game. They mistake the table for some kind of special but, It's not that. Jesus has to get out of them. Look, this isn't about you being better. This is about us going to serve. And so in the same way, right, we, we say this is the body of Christ given for you. We take it into ourselves. We also are called the body of Christ. and There's something in the sense that I then am going up as the body of Christ to be broken for the life of the world. There's something in discipleship about taking up the cross and following him. It means putting aside my own agenda. It means putting aside my own dreams sometimes. Putting aside my own wants to follow him. Which is so worth it because he'll get, he'll get things right better than I can anyway. And in the same way Christ has been broken for me, I'm now called as a disciple to go and be broken as I show my life to others. This is why when Jesus calls people to discipleship and He says, "Okay, it means this," is going to cost you. They turn around. Only Jesus is not for the faint of heart, folks. This is a whole life commitment, but it's so worth it, folks. We've been so blessed by the One who's come to serve us, the One who's emptied Himself for us. And when we go from this place, we're called to empty ourselves. Not because we're Jesus, but we're called to emulate him. We're called to to live like he did. We're called to empty ourselves as a demonstration of his love and his humility for them, for everyone around us. And as they see his love worked out in our lives, it draws them to himself. This is what being a kingdom of priests is all about. Priests, priest, ideally, it's kind of invisible. You just kind of point people to God, direct God's word back to people, right? That's your call too. That through your daily life, whether it's at work or school or family, whatever it is that imperfectly, often falteringly, but somehow lovingly, persistently, choosing to try and reveal Christ's love, in your actions and in your words by emptying yourself of your selfness, letting God fill you with himself, letting that pour out of you to a world that desperately, desperately needs to hear him. And yeah, we get it wrong. We get it wrong all the time. That's why there's grace in the God of grace we serve. Jesus says the leader is the one who serves. We are... We're taken up into Christ, folks so that we can be servants for one another. So as I wrap it up and as we set our hearts to the table, it's first a reminder of the past. Among all the things we could say, <laughs> there's a lot we can say. It's a reminder of the past. It's a testament of God's heart of love. He wants to eat with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to. He wants you to know how much he loves you and cares for you. How much your sin hurts him and how much he wants to deal with that so you can live. That's the first thing. We do it in remembrance of him, don't Jesus ordains a meal for us. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, you keep doing this. This is what I want you to do. On all the other things. This is really important in the heart of God. We do it because when we eat it, it shapes us at the core of who we are. It's Jesus' life death, that shapes me as Nicholas. This is where my identity is. Not in the stuff I do, but in what he's done for me. I look backward remember the long story of God's love. I look upward, recognize what he's done for me. But I also now look outward. I'm called to mission. Just as Christ has given his life to the world, I'm called to give myself for him, for the gospel. And that will mean pouring out my own life for him. However that looks wherever he's put, live his life for others. So as we come to the table, folks, may we eat and drink. But you're united with Christ.